This week in the Horrorverse, we debut our new Patreon-exclusive show, Playing With Bones with Amy Rose. So with that in mind, I thought we could take a look further into the past for this week's monster. Today, we're going to look at the only known serial killer in the history of Iceland, Bjorn Peterson. He was nicknamed Axlar Bjorn, with Axlar being genitive of Axel, his place of residence. He was born in 1555 and died in 1596. Axler Bjorn was the youngest of three children born to an Icelandic farmer couple. He lived at Oxel west of Buder in Snæfellsnes. When he was 15 years old, Axler Bjorn began to help on the farm of a rich neighbour named Ermer in exchange for room and board. Umer died some years later from natural causes and left his estate to his son Gumundur. Gumundur had become friends with Axlar Bjorn during his employment and gifted him a farm called Oxel in the Bredevik region of Snæfellsnes. Axlar Bjorn took residence there with his wife, Prudis Olafsdotter. Many legends have been written about Bjorn and his malice. However, these were recorded 250 to 300 years after the time of the execution. His story is interwoven with legends and full of folkloric motifs. The accounts differ on the motives, modus operandi, number of victims and the events that led to the arrest of Axlar Bjorn. The most common claims are that he killed either 9 or 18 people. The victims were travellers and farmhands that came to Axel looking for work. Some versions say that he hacked them with his axe and others say he drowned them. Local suspicions about Axlar Bjorn grew as people disappeared in the area, while his horses and other possessions increased. But he was safe because of the protection given to him by Gundmunder. Axlar Bjorn was arrested and confessed to nine murders, but authorities found more bodies when they searched his farm. Asked about them, Axlar Bjorn claimed that he found the remains buried in his land and decided to rebury them in another place without notifying authorities or bringing them to the cemetery. The authorities did not believe his explanation. A thing sentenced Axlar Bjorn to die by hanging followed by breaking on the wheel. For those of you that don't know, a thing also known as a folk mute assembly, tribal council, and by other names, was a governing assembly in early Germanic society made up of the free people of the community presided over by a law speaker. Things took place at regular intervals, usually at prominent places that were accessible by travel. They provided legislative functions as well as being social events and opportunities for trade. In modern usage, the meaning of this word in English and other languages have shifted to mean not just an assemblage of some sort, but simply an object of any sort. Also, if you didn't know, breaking on the wheel, also known as the execution wheel and the wheel of Catherine, was a torture method used for public execution primarily in Europe from antiquity through the Middle Ages up to the 19th century by breaking the bones of a criminal or bludgeoning them to death. The practice was abolished in Bavaria in 1813 and in the electorate of Hesse in 1836. The last known execution by the wheel took place in Persia in 1841. In the Holy Roman Empire, it was a mirror punishment for highwaymen and street thieves and was set out in the Sackenspiel for murder and arson that resulted in fatalities. 
those convicted as murderers, rapists, traitors or robbers to be executed by the wheel, sometimes termed to be wheeled or broken on the wheel, would be taken to a public stage scaffold site and tied to the floor. The execution wheel was typically a large wooden spoked wheel, the same as was used on wooden transport carts and carriages, sometimes modified with a rectangular iron thrust attached and extending blade-like from part of the rim. The primary goal of the first act was the agonizing mutilation of the body, not death. Therefore, the most common form would start with the breaking of the leg bones. To this end, the executioner dropped the execution wheel on the shin bones of the convicted person and then worked his way up to the arms. Here, rhythm and number of beatings were prescribed in each case, sometimes also the number of spokes on the wheel. To increase its effect, more often sharp-edged timbers were placed under the convict's joints. Later, there were devices in which the convicted person could be harnessed. Although not commonplace, the executioner could be instructed to execute the convicted person at the end of the first act by aiming for the neck or heart in a coup de grace. Even less often, this occurred immediately from the start, from the head down. In the second act, the body was braided into another wooden spoked wheel, which was possible through the broken limbs or tied to the wheel. The wheel was then erected on a mast pole like a crucifixion. After this, the executioner was permitted to decapitate or garrote the convicted if need be. Alternatively, fire was kindled under the wheel or the wheel convicted was simply thrown into a fire. Occasionally, the small gallows was set up on the wheel, for example, if there was a guilty verdict for theft in addition to murder. Since the body remained on the wheel after execution, left for to scavenging animals, birds to decay, this form of punishment, like the ancient crucifixion, was a sacral function beyond death. According to the belief at the time, this would hinder transition from death to resurrection. If the convicted fell from the wheel still alive or the execution failed in some way, some of the wheel itself breaking or falling from its placement, it was interpreted as God's intervention. There exists votive images of saved victims of the wheel and there is literature on how best to treat such sustained injuries. The survival time after being wheeled or broken could be extensive. Accounts exist of the 14th century murderer who, murderer who remained conscious for three days after undergoing the punishment. In 1348, during the time of the Black Death, a Jewish man named Bona Dies underwent the punishment. The authorities stated he remained conscious for four days and nights afterwards. In 1581, the German serial killer Christmann Gnippertinga remained conscious for nine days on the braking wheel before expiring, having been deliberately kept alive with strong drink. Alternatively, the condemned were spread-eagled and broken on a saltire, a cross consisting of two wooden beams nailed in an X-shape, after which the victim's mangled body might be displayed on the wheel. Bourdis, who was pregnant at the time, was forced to watch the execution of her husband Axler Bjorn in this manner. Bourdis was accused of assisting her husband in the murders and even committing some of the murders herself. 
She was also sentenced to death, but the execution was not carried out. The son she was carrying, Sveen Scotty Bjornsson, grew up to be a vagrant and a criminal and was hanged for rape in 1648. Sveen's own son, Gisli Rukur Sveenson, was also a criminal and also executed in 1657 for the robbery of a man named Hrafna Gunnarsson, which resulted in the death of a man and his servant, Hiluki. Gisli's last words before his execution were said to have been, If I were free, I would kill you all and eat your flesh. If you like that and you want to hear more horrific history, facts and tales, then check out Playing With Bones with Amy Rose. The debut episode is available now on this podcast feed. Seriously, go check it. It's like two shows down from this one. The usually Patreon-exclusive show's debut episode is up and available now for free. This week, Amy Rose talks us through some bizarre deaths throughout time. Go check it out. It's well worth the listen. And come back tomorrow for It's Alive Alive weekend update for all your news and views from the Harvards. See you then. Bye. If you like that, then listen to our main show every Wednesday on all good podcast providers. It's Alive Alive, the really, really fake true crime horror podcast. All the guts and gore, none of the guilt. See you on Wednesdays.